What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Here's where you can see me on tour from now to the end of the year. Los Angeles, July 27th, a big, big show at the Hollywood Improv. One hour of me doing stand-up. I never do this in L.A., so please do come out. Let's sell the show out. It's going to be wicked fun. All tickets right now are available on jenkirkman.com, J-E-N-K-I-R-K-M-A-N.com, right there on the homepage. You don't even have to click tour. You can if you want to. And then I will be in. Minneapolis, August 10th, Nashville, August 15th, Birmingham, Alabama, August 16th, Athens, Georgia, August 17th, San Antonio, Texas, August 21st, Houston, Texas, August 22nd, Austin, Texas, August 25th. That's a special birthday show for me. Please do come out. Brooklyn on 9-11. Come on, who doesn't want to have fun in New York on 9-11? Boston, September 13th. Del Mar, California, the Cabo Festival, which is technically San Diego. One show, Sunday September 15th. And then Toronto, a show was just added because I'm so popular there. Um, I am in the JFL 42 Festival. I am doing three stand-up shows and one live taping of this very podcast, Having Funlessness. I'm there the 19th through the 22nd. Another show might be added if I'm even more popular. And then, of course, save the dates if you're in London, Manchester, Amsterdam, and Oslo. And no, I'm not going anywhere else. Plane tickets are booked. Just deal with it. That's where I am. Those dates are London, September 30th through October 6th, Manchester, October 7th, Amsterdam, October 9th. Oh, sorry, Manchester is October 6th, Amsterdam, October 9th, Oslo, October 12th. And, oh my God, when does she rest? Never. Lastly, but not leastly, Richmond, Virginia, Friday, December 6th, and Durham, North Carolina, Saturday, December 7th. I am doing special, well, they're stand-up shows, but with just a little bit of Christmas because it's close to Christmas. Oh, my God. I think that's it for now. JenKirkman.com. Buy tickets. And now, enjoy this episode. Fondlessness, fondlessness, fondlessness. Having fondlessness, having fondlessness, having fondlessness. With Jen Kirkman. Oh my God, here we are. Episode 291. Who cares what number it is? Having fun listeners with Jen Kirkman podcast. Woo. Well, this episode may not be that fun because I'm in a little bit of a mood. And, uh, you know, I read an article before I came here and I'm like, well, I kind of have to talk about it. But in this week's episode, we're going to talk about dating because some listener had a question about old people dating, old people my age. I'm going to talk about how uh, it was a... My dad was a uh, social media influencer when he got some free popcorn. I'm going to talk about uh, writing a Hallmark Christmas movie. Maybe I'll talk about that next week. (laughs) I'm going to talk about Bob Dylan is annoying as fuck and women who wrote for Rolling Stone magazine. And as of today, uh, advice columnist Jean Carroll was raped by Donald Trump in the dressing room of Bergdorf's in New York. Oh, that's right. Listen, I I didn't make it up. That's what we're talking about today, and I'm losing my mind. All right, great. 
Oh, you guys, I'm just, I'm just cranky. I'm just cranky. And you know, this is what it's like being a woman is I already had my period last week. I had my premenstrual times before that. That's the time when I usually get cranky. Then my period, my hormones change and I get super hyper, super focused, super driven and super happy. That's something. Now, women are sad on their periods or uncomfortable if they are the type that gets cramps or gets this. I don't have any of that. I've always been lucky. So I'm just bleeding and fucking powering through and getting shit done. I'm TC being when I'm bleeding. But the week before that, I'm like, it's not, I'm so sad about this. (laughs) Um, You know, like I'll find, I have this pumpkin candle. It's not an actual candle. It's a glass, a glass thing that you would put a little votive candle in and it glows like a pumpkin, like a jack-o'-lantern, if you will. And I found it the other day because it's in this little cabinet that I have sort of um, holiday candle situations. And it's not time for the jack-o'-lantern to be out. But I feel bad for it because it doesn't get to stay out as long as Christmas stuff. And it's like just sitting in there. And I usually forget I have it. And then like on October 30th, I'm like, I'll put out the jack-o'-lantern thing. And I just saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this thing is forgotten in there. (sighs) And that is PMS. So, but now I'm cranky. And there doesn't seem to be a corresponding hormonal thing about being a woman. And I realize I'm also a person. So sometimes I get to be cranky and sad and overwhelmed. And I think that I am not looking forward to the election. Oh, that was also what I was going to talk about. I'm just not looking forward to the election. I hate it. I'm upset. I'm like, I think there's, I think all the candidates except two are fantastic. Well, except three, if you're including Trump, I'm just talking about Democrats, are fantastic. Everyone has something to offer. I'm just not excited because of how the world has changed and all of the Russian interference and the social media bots and blah, blah, blah. It's not pleasant. And I, it just, I used to actually kind of be one of those cheese balls that got excited about elections. And I would get fired up, even with candidates that weren't perfect. I still would just always be very moved. I'm not moved. A part of my heart's been cut up and just thrown in the garbage. I, Bernie Sanders is doing his divisive stuff, and then the gaslighting is coming from the top down. See, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but here she goes. It, it, it's just when he does these things, uh, he is subtly dog-whistling to his followers. They are now doing the new talking point, and I called him out four years ago. I said, there's something going on with his campaign. He does a thing where he pretends he's not saying it, but he'll say something. And then he's got this like team of people that run social media stuff and they say the outrageous things and he doesn't stop it. And his followers get all radicalized and they lose their minds and they're not serious people. And they will not vote for whoever the candidate is because he's already poisoning all of the Democrats. He is sending out emails saying that there is some corporate Dem world that does that. Look, Yes, of course, there's money in corporate things in politics and blah, blah, blah. But he's acting as though there's these people out to get him. He's acting like Trump. He will now, He already now has an army of people in the millions who will not vote in the election unless he's the nominee. This is the same thing that happened last time. And it happens in key swing states. And bang, then we have Trump. And I was screaming it then. And then when he lost and Hillary won the primary and then we ended up with Trump, people said, he's done. I said, are you crazy? He's just beginning. He will run again. And nobody believed me. And now he's running again. And now everyone's going, but he's not going to win the nomination. So then he'll go away. And I'm going, are you guys, it's happening again. Please listen to me. I'm screaming into the void. But the new thing is people are saying, oh, you're just rich. That's why you don't want Bernie because you're terrified of his tax plan. And it's like this, this naivete. I think that is how you pronounce it. And I really kind of get off on myself that I say it correctly. It's not naivete. Maybe it is, but I like to say it with one less syllable because it makes me feel international. So let me break it down for you. Any Democrat who wins is going to raise taxes on the rich and try to give the working class and, you know, non people, not, you know, everyone else a break. Uh, are the Democrats going to tax rich people 80 to a hundred percent? No, probably not. It was, a, you know, that's a radical idea that's been thrown around by people. Uh, 
But let me explain something to you about fucking artists and show business. If you looked, like I can go on the, the Writers Guild website and I can look at all the money I've made technically as a writer. You'd be like, whoa, holy shit. Then you go, now spread that out over 10 years. Now add paying off my student loans, paying off debts, going through a divorce, uh, paying off all this other debt. Like you don't just like bank all that money, right? Then you live on it. Then you put your own money into your tours. Then your manager gets 10%, your agent gets 10%, your lawyer gets 5%. 25% of my paycheck is not mine already. And then on top of that, I pay about 30% taxes or something like that, 30 to 35. So you keep about 40% of your paycheck when you're an artist. I don't even truck with worrying about my taxes. I'm not rich enough or poor enough to really have my taxes affected. And you can incorporate when you're an artist and you pay like a certain flat tax rate, but it's not like Amazon incorporating. It's it's actually a way to protect artists because we kind of get this raw deal. And what will happen with an artist is you might get one big paycheck for six figures and then you don't work again for four years. It's not your salary thing. So a lot of times incorporating helps kind of slightly take that edge off, but it is not... There is no world where I'm worried about who the presidential candidate is because of my taxes. In my head, 35% of my salary goes to taxes. It's always somewhere between 25 and 35%, depending on how many write-offs I have that year, depending on, I guess, who the president is or what's going on. I don't actually, to be honest, look at that stuff. Um, I know for me that I am not a wealthy person. I do not have a million dollars. I do not own property, and I could not afford a down payment on a property today. So... Or, well, I could, depending on where. I mean, probably in, in uh, you know, maybe Kansas or something, but not where I am currently living. So, you know, not being able to afford the city you live in is unique to some cities like L.A., New York, blah, blah. And, you know, it's upsetting. It's upsetting at my age. And so to have all these Bernie trolls coming after me this week, I blocked about 300 people in, in a day saying, you don't like him because you're rich and you're scared. Well, we're coming for your money. I'm like, come for it. You'll be real disappointed. Come and get it. You'll be like, you'll need a change purse. Like, guys, you're not understanding what it's like to be an actual adult. Like, if you get wowed by certain, um, like, figures, you're a child. Like, I don't know how else to explain it to you. And people were going after Chrissy Teigen and saying you don't care because you're rich. She's so fucking rich. It doesn't matter what the fucking taxes are. She's not. It's only people who are in power who are usually afraid of having that, you know, their taxes taken away. Usually like artsy fartsy rich people were usually pretty generous. And if you notice about Bernie's tax returns, he paid the 10 to 15 percent taxes that millionaires get. He paid Donald Trump's tax break and he did not donate anything to charity. So I think it was like less than 2% of his salary he donated to charity. So, you know, I I just want to be very clear that if you are insisting that he is uh, someone who Democrats fear because he's coming to take our money, you have been brainwashed by propaganda. You may not think you have because you feel it passionately and you're not able to be brainwashed, but you sound like it. And so it's been very upsetting to constantly be told that I'm wealthy and out of touch because I got to be honest, I'd fucking love to be. Are you kidding me? My God, would I love to be out of touch? I don't want to have to go to the grocery store. Are you nuts? I've paid my dues. Where's my gated community? I don't even want the community. I just want a gate around my place and then everyone goes away and I just have a staff of people that open my mail. Are you nuts? Of course I want that, but I don't. Um, and I love anyone who's going to take what I'm saying, not as a joke. Bless your hearts. So anyway, this is what I don't get. I was just reading my tour dates, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so exhausted. It is exhausting. And, uh, you know, that's what I don't get about people running for president is how can you go around talking to these dumb fucks? I know a couple episodes ago, I was like, I love America and America to me is the people and I love you all. I love you guys. But, oh, my God, going around these dumb fucks. What's your plan for this? It's like, look. We're going to do a good, we're going to do all the things that Democrats have been promising for years. We'll do the environment. We'll try to do some gun stuff. We'll try to do some health care. But we're up against the Republicans. If they win the Senate, we're not going to get much through. So 
How about this? If I was running for president, I'd go, I'm not Donald Trump. Is that good enough? Because that should be good enough. Here I am. What's your plan? Doesn't matter. The Republicans are in the Senate. But I'm not Donald Trump. So let me in. Just let me in. I, I won't take phone calls from Putin. I won't. He doesn't know what a fucking drone is. He's like, there was a there was a drone in Iran, but there was no men or women in it because it's a drone, you kook. There's not they're un, they're not the peopleless. They're peopleless. What is it that movie? The thing is people and mime screaming. It's peopleless. I can't. I may not ever. I may. I've watched so many Nazi movies, as I've told you, about people hiding in Norway. When I go to Norway, if you guys would hide me in your homes so that I I don't have to ever go back to the United States, like when my visa's up or whatever, I only have like a one week work visa or whatever it is. You only have the visa for like the amount of days you're working there. Can you guys like, I don't know, I might just have to do that, like just get a backpack or even a, even just a stick with a a bindle is a bindle or spindle and I'm just gonna walk around I'm gonna grow a fucking beard and I'm gonna ask you guys just take me in just is there anything just put me in front of a fireplace I cannot come back here um so I don't know how people do it I went to uh I don't even know what I was saying I don't even know what I was saying anymore but I I don't know how candidates go around the country and stay positive because see I get to go around the country and I get to go negative I get to get on stage and make jokes about stupid people but these people have to sit there smiling and be positive and be like I have a plan and we're gonna do this and then someone's like what about the blah blah and you're like oh god like this fucking person like they're really gonna understand my plan and also it's like this is a figurehead this is a president and their job is to delegate so you really want You really want a paper pusher who's good at delegating and going, this is my secretary of state. Like, I don't even think we have a secretary of state right now. One of the highest jobs that is the ambassador. I I can't even my you can I can't articulate. But you're supposed to know how to put a cabinet together. So nobody asks questions like that. What would your cabinet be made of? What do you want a secretary of state to do? Who would be, you know, they act like the president because we've turned into a bunch of babies. Like, the president make everything okay. The president is a fucking figurehead that, of course, makes decisions. But some of the biggest decisions a president makes is who are the people on their team that make decisions. And so this whole notion of putting everything on the president with their plans, it's like, actually, what you want to do is go, well, here's what I want. I want to create more green jobs. I want to reduce greenhouse gases. I want to get us off foreign oil. And then go, how are you going to do it? Well, I don't know. I'm going to f- I have someone that does that in the cabinet. But I've been talking to some of the greatest minds, and this is who I collaborate with. Why don't people get more detailed and honest about that? It makes me nuts. I mean, God bless Liz Warren. I think it's a good slogan. I've got a plan for that. But but that's not how it works anyway. That's not, you don't have to. I mean, you do, but you don't. Oh, God. I mean, political corner is really heating up. What what were some of the, honey, are you listening to that Jen girl? Yeah, she's got some good points today. Well, what are they? One of them was, um, I mean, you do, but you don't. What does that mean? Well, she was saying a president sort of is in charge, but also isn't. Well, what's her point? I don't know. She just she didn't plan on talking about politics. It just started happening. And uh, it wasn't very articulate. And she sort of backtracked and then just went, ah, I don't know. I don't know. With, uh, I'm Honey, this. why don't you listen to Rachel Maddow or something? I don't like, I don't know. I don't like her too much because uh, she always has what she wants to say planned out and she's got facts and stuff. I, I more just like to listen to an exasper- exasperated person. You know, they really speak to me. Okay. I don't know why the wife in that scenario didn't have a good zinger. And I know I'm blatantly drinking coffee right into the mic like I promised I wouldn't. But, oh, for fuck-a-duck's sake, people. All right, let's read this letter. Uh, We'll start with fun, and then we'll go to the horrible. How does that sound? We'll end the podcast on the hor. We'll go fun, then some horrible, and then, like, medium... Whatever. How's that sound? Okay. So this this person emails me. And of course, there's one thing in the email that stands out that I'm like, uh, okay. 
I feel insulted, but it was the email. Uh, hey, Jen, I just wanted to say after listening to the, quote, old seed episode recently, uh, much of what you mentioned regarding being single and of a certain age group really hit home. Um, along with you hit the nail on the head with several of your statements concerning some of the difficulties and many different factors contributing to any frustration or further self-questioning or of oneself when not in a relationship during certain stages of life. I'm fairly sure I can empathize with many of your comments, particularly the social media factor involvement for meeting people in today's society, along with being part of certain generations. It was nice to hear someone else's to, nice to hear someone else voice their thoughts and questions about being a, quote, older single person from a particular point of view. That and your insight are a couple of the reasons why I listen to you and enjoy your comedy, parentheses, most of the time. Do we need that? Listen, if you're a fan of my comedy, I don't go, oh, my God, they love everything I've ever said, and they agree with it. You don't have to put most of the time you like my comedy. It just, you like my comedy. Overall, you like it. I'm batting six out of ten. I'm a fan of comedy. Do you know that some of the comedians I like, I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? Oh, God, I hate that. I hate that point of view. Or I go, that wasn't that funny. I go, oh, I'm really kind of phoning it in on this one. It's part of being a human. You don't say to your wife, I love you most of the time. It's implied. There's, con- there's, 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 there's a rich experience. And, and I know, that, ugh, I already hear the person's going to email me back. I didn't mean to offend you. You didn't offend me. I'm just telling you, you guys have very little tact sometimes. You guys meaning just all people of, of the earth. Um, so, but anyway. I certainly don't envy being in your shoes with regards to some of the extra inner questions you might have when someone hits on you or makes overtures in part due to their preconceived notion of you as a, quote, celebrity or person. That doesn't really happen. Um, I mean, just online weirdness, but that's that's not because they think I'm a celebrity. That's because men online are, um, they do that to everybody. Because I'm the curious sort and interested in other perspectives, I do have a couple questions for you. What, in your opinion, is a reasonable or acceptable age difference between two people? By the way, I completely agree with you regarding Mick Jagger and some of the other people in relationships with someone who could be their child or grandchild age-wise. Because that does say something about a psyche and is indeed ridiculous. Do you find there are less opportunities to meet new people or fewer quality people to meet, i.e. all the good ones are taken as people reach their 40s and older? Do you think many of us older people become too set in our ways and or by refusing to settle contributes to the difficulty in finding certain types of relationships? My condolences to you after hearing in the next episode of the lack of common sense by people who propositioned you after this particular episode several weeks ago. Good luck with your touring. Even when men write that, I go, they're going to proposition me because they think that now I trust them because they go, oh, these other men propositioning you are crazy. Anyway, now that we got that out of the way, I totally understand you. And not in a propositioning way, but if you ever want to go out, like I know this guy isn't doing that, but I just wanted to point out that like that's what it's like to be a woman is like when guys go, I'm sorry that happened. We're like, uh-huh, stop trying to get my pants. Like we just, it's, the world's broken. You guys, the patriarchy, it's broken. And so like, I'm just like, uh-huh, like I just can't even. Um, but I like these questions. So I, I don't, Maybe I didn't address them, but so I think I mentioned to you guys that I was dating someone younger. I did end it. I mean, it wasn't like some big dramatic thing like, Charles, get in here. The Charles is my butler. Charles, I need you to call the boy. Oh, Miss Kirkman, you said that you were going to call. I don't know. Is my butler? Where is he from? I'm going to make him like a New York guy. Oh, Miss Kirkman, you said you were going to call the boy uh, on your own and try to like take responsibility for your own, you know, relationship. I mean, you know, you'd call him to tell him a good thing. You, you can't call him to tell him a bad thing. We're going to text him. No, Charles, I need you to tell him. Tell the boy that I'm uncomfortable with the age difference and I just simply don't have the time to work it out in my brain right now. Well, that's a little weird. I mean, you know, you're the older one. You're supposed to be a little more mature. Well, I'm not, Charles. I'm, I'm not. Oh, fine. I'll do it myself, Charles. What's his number? Hand me the phone. So I did. And look, the guy's going to be fine. He's The thing that's interesting is there's many interesting details that made loopholes for why I at first thought the age difference was fine. But then there were other realities. I was like, no, it doesn't work for me. But I can't give any details. Well, first of all, I, I don't re- I talk in a general way. Like if I'm in a long-term relationship, you know, I might have jokes about it. But um, I said to him, I'm never going to like talk about you on stage or anything. But I can't tell you the details because then you'll know who it is and it's not like it's a celebrity but you can just find out who people are and you can go on their instagrams and all that and i've had problems with this podcast in the past so unfortunately i have to keep most of the details private but um 
the bottom line was for well, one of the things he wasn't an American. So that always helps a little bit because is I think I mean, I'd be hard pressed, I think, to find a guy who's 32 who's not like totally Bernie broed up. I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I'm just basing it on people that come to my shows in Brooklyn. <laughs> so then, you know, I he you know, he knew his times tables. I'm kidding. He he was a normal person, but I'm young and fun and free spirited, but I am still 44 turning 45. And there is something that I'll give you a perfect example. My my dear friend uh, Goldie, he's a guy. I've known him since New York. We're the same age. He just wrote a book about going bald. And he is so funny. He's a comedy writer. He's got a sitcom on the air right now. I forget the name. It just started production. And, you know, again, I've known him since he, like, lived in a shit apartment with, like, a crazy roommate, you know, had, like, a bed on the floor and, like, no dishes. You know, like, that's – I've known him since we were early 20s. And now he's, like, a grown man with a wife and kids and a beautiful house and blah, blah, blah. But he's a different person, and I'm a different person. And, like, I don't know how to explain it. We – we were talking the other day. He came and did my show at the Hollywood Improv Lab, and he was reading from his book. And I said, uh, you know, the touring is, is kind of exhausting me. And, you know, I really liked working on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because it was in New York and it's a show I loved. But at the end of the day, living in New York, but not really living there and not getting a place there, it would have been really expensive to get a place there. I just it's easier to work that job if you live in New York. So. But I don't really love in general like sitting in writers rooms but I said to him you know financially and just exhaustingly I think I need a job you know and he was like well if you're really serious like I can you know reach out to my friends who are staffing and see if anyone needs anything and I was like oh that'd be amazing and you know even though we're old friends like he doesn't know my value in a writer's room he doesn't know that I'm a good worker he doesn't know anything he's just taking a chance on his crazy old friend Jen and so I said hey just to let you know and, and nothing came of it so far, but I said, just to let you know, uh, I would not have weird boundaries. Like if you did end up putting in a good word and I got a job and something happened at that job, you know, he goes, oh, I know my job ends when I go, hey, Jen's a funny person. If you're looking for someone in the writer's room that <clears throat> just came off a hit show, whatever. And he goes, look, at my age, I just want to relax. I just want to be happy. Donald Trump is president, and I just want to do as many nice things for pos- people as possible. He's like, I'm so tired. I didn't know that you still had to work in your mid-40s. And he's like, I'm I'm successful. I'm doing well. But there's still more to do, and I want to be financially secure for my family. And he's like, but at the end of the day, like, my interest in my life is changing. And he's like, and I'm bald. And I he I didn't know how much this bothered him. Um, I really had no idea that when I knew him, he was going through this thing where he was losing his hair and he was really self-conscious about it. And I didn't think he was losing his hair. I just didn't care. I mean, some men lose their hair, some don't. And so it was just very interesting to talk to someone about getting older and looking at your face and seeing it get older. And so for me as a woman, that kind of whatever that is between me and my friend and between all my friends that are my age, which is most of my friends, I I kind of, if I'm going to bother compromising to have a partner, I really want it to be because I'm walking a similar path. And even though 44-year-olds and 32-year-olds can absolutely share common interests and common energy levels, there's a path I'm going, when you put it this way, in five years, I'll be 50. In 18 years, he'll be 50. It's a two totally different perspectives. And I don't care what anybody says, when you turn 50 you start to reevaluate your life. And so I learned a lot of profound things about myself dating this guy. I think one thing I learned was I think it can make a younger man insecure to date an older woman because he wants to be mature. And he was very mature and he was not immature in many ways. Um, But, you know, I can't speak for him, but I do feel like he felt some kind of pressure to like, I don't know, do things right. And there really is no right. I mean, I'm actually kind of chill in that way where it's like, I like to go out and do activities. I, unless we're like really serious and have been together a while, like 
I don't want to just chill on a couch and do nothing. Like I kind of do, but I I'm, I am kind of set in my ways as the listener asked. So I would rather kind of chill by myself if I'm gonna. Um, so I like going on dates and getting dressed up and doing activities. And that's the kind of stuff we did. And it was really fun. And there is something cool about someone younger that, you know, we, we went disco dancing and we would go do this. And, and just there's a lack of jadedness and... And I still have that in a way, too. I, I wanted to go to the Dresden and see Marty and Elaine. I did it when I first moved here in my 20s. I wanted to do it again. You know, it was fun. We did a lot of fun things together. And but at the end of the day, it was like it was getting to that tipping point where it was like, OK, now like this could be a relationship and it could start getting into that like oh, yeah, just come over Friday night with food. And it's like, ah, I'm not that interested right now in that. And I think one of the things is that, like, you know, I was alone for a year and a half, like, getting over my last relationship. And then I was, like, busy. I was in New York. And then now that I've been home a while, I'm actually really happy. And I have, I would say I have about 20 good friends that I'm juggling seeing every month. That's a lot. And I like to see them sometimes more than once. And I'm writing, let's see, I'm writing my Hallmark thing. I'm pitching three shows. I'm pitching a book. And all of these things, except for the Hallmark thing, which is a paid gig, the other things are unpaid right now unless I sell them. And it's like 60 hours a week of writing. And then I'm touring and I have the podcast. So I don't have a lot of nights free. And there's some nights like I might want to take a dance class or go to Pilates. And so I don't socialize every night. Um, you know, there's a couple nights a week that are like writing, a couple nights a week that are like self-care, and then a couple nights a week, like literally I have two nights a week free for socializing. And I automatically, when you're dating someone, you have to give them one of the nights. And it started to get weird that I couldn't give more than one. And there was one week when I did give two, but I didn't end up seeing any friends. So I didn't talk to any women one-on-one that week. And I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't make the compromises. And I'm not sad about it. And it's not like, oh, if you're set in your ways, you'll never meet anyone. It's like, I might be happy where I am. And so I think that, I think that, um, you know, it, I think it was the age difference. Like if he'd been my age, I think there could have been a few more conversations where we were on the same level where I would say, Hey, like I, I, I'm in sort of a career weird place where there's a lot of no's this year and a lot of uncertainty and I need to work twice as hard. And I, when I was younger, you know, dating a guy would have been like a really fun distraction and a really cool solve, S-A-L-V-E, solve. And it would have been comforting and fun, but actually it's the opposite as I get older. It, it seems like I'm wasting time. It's scary. I don't have a lot to give. And a lot of compromises involved. And so, you know, I live alone. I live in a nice place. And, you know, he lived not alone. And he lived with someone he didn't know, you know. Um, and he had just moved here and he was getting settled. And the thought of, like, going and staying there, sometimes I was like, I can't ever do that. But I don't want to be the woman that's like, I'm never coming over to your place because it, it – I don't care what anyone says. It feels rude and judgmental. Well, I want more of an equal that way. And I also just don't feel like schlepping things around. And I don't, I've never understood really sleepovers. Like, I don't get it. it. Like, if you live with someone, fantastic. But if you don't, like, then you don't, you know? Like, I'll get up at 6 a.m. and meet you for coffee, but I don't need someone in my th- bed. I just don't. My mother's probably like, what? Oh, my God. I just don't. I, I And it's like, because I'm starting to get hot flashes in the middle of the night. And, like, I just can't sleep when they happen and I have my own little ritual I do and I can't hear another person living next to me. And it's, I'm not sad about it. That's the thing. And so the other night I went to this event and I was with a lot of female comedians and female activists that were about age 45 to 55. One of my friends just got a divorce. She's in her fifties, was married 27 years. I thought she had like the perfect marriage. She was like, nope. And then a few other female comics that are single. And we were all like, we're the fucking happiest we've ever been. And we felt like, this is how our grandmothers felt when our grandfathers died early. Like they had this freedom. And I grew up hanging out with widows. I mean, every woman on my street, there were four houses in a row across the street from me. They were all widows. All their husbands had died. They were all in their like early 70s. And their life was just needlepoint and watching prices, right? And, you know, I've talked about this a million times. It, it never looked sad to me. And so 
I don't know, maybe I front loaded all the love in my life. Like I've had 9,000 boyfriends and I, I like literally, if you spaced it out over zero to 80, it would be a good amount, but I like jammed it all in from zero to 42. And so I just don't think that's the place I'm in right now. And I think I'm still from that generation where even though we're feminist and we don't need a man and we like an equal and we're not in the kitchen uh, there's still societal things that get in our head and we're still from that generation where being picked is very important. And I think when you have a relationship, you feel safe and you feel picked and other people get off your back. And when you're single, it's like something's wrong. Or if you're like, no, but I'm happy and single, then they're like, okay, you're set in your ways. And then the other thing people are like, well, just have sex for fun. And it's like, there's a certain age where that doesn't become fun because you're an older person and someone's seeing your body. And you're like, I just don't want to deal with this without intimacy. And it's still a compromise and you have to make time for it. Like that, it's like, no, like people who are married completely don't get that about single people that are older. They're like, just take a young guy and have fun. It's like, it's actually not fun anymore though. Like we change, like see how you guys aren't having sex in your marriage. Like that's what single people are like. It's not just because you're married, you know? And it's like my friends with kids that are like, I'm so tired at nine o'clock. I'm like, that's also because you're 45. It's not just the fucking kid. And I think that people really think that there's this endless fountain of youth when you're single and it just doesn't always feel that way. And so anyway, my, my girls and I, and these are very successful women. And I was like, you know, it, it is something culturally is happening where we've seen how awful, especially even allies of ours, men, you know, like, especially with us, with the Bernie people, we've just seen men be so terrible that we're not saying, oh my God, men are awful. We hate them. But we're like, you know what? Like, they don't feel like equal partners right now. And we're having a great time. And like, yeah, like it's nice to have love and intimacy and, and it can get lonely and sad, especially during certain times of the year, everyone's off with their partners. But it, it's not that you're lonely and sad because you made a wrong decision or you feel unloved. It's just because no one's around. It's like just how weird it gets that time of year. But um, yeah, for me, I do think people can get set in their ways. But I think that it might not be a negative thing. I think people know themselves and they have their things. And if you can fit someone seamlessly into your life or compromise, then that's great. You know, I definitely was open to compromising and adding this guy into my life, but I realized I don't want to do that with someone so much younger because it's a lot to ask and it's probably not going to last very long, you know, and I'm not interested. I'm not saying it has to go forever, but I have to be surprised at why it doesn't go forever. It's just like, he would say things and he wouldn't mean to because I look so young. So that was the other thing. But, you know, I think he said something once like about Botox. And I was like, dude, I've had it in my forehead. Like I have a big lightning bolt thing in my forehead. Like I actually got it. It's gone, if that makes sense. Like, so I probably won't do more, if that makes sense. Like I, I kind of will just try to age as naturally as I can. But it, it's heartbreaking when you look in the mirror and go, I don't recognize this person. Like, my face is different. It's not because I want to look young. I just want to look like me. And I guess technically, since I've been young my whole life, that's what I want to look like. But it's nothing to do with thinking that younger is better. It's just going like, I'm changing. And this is really scary. And to be very intimate with someone where they become like your soulmate and your most important person in your life and they don't understand, I mean, it's hard to me. I, I like to have similar experiences. I think... Um, when you're older, there's less people around and less people are leaving their houses. So I think that's my answer. Um, for me, as my therapist was saying to me, you know, you could probably work around the age thing for a while and you could have a nice like couple year relationship. And, you know, and we were saying in a couple years just because I feel like the shit would really start to hit the fan as I get closer to 50 and and as his visa is up and stuff. But it was more like it takes a lot of mental energy for me to kind of work with the age thing. And I didn't have the time right now just because of career stuff where if I had a more like solid career where I was selling out 10,000 seat theaters and making a lot of money and, and had, didn't have to hustle as much, I'd probably have more time to compromise. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I, it was good to get back out there and date again because I went, Oh, this is what I'm missing. And I'm not really missing it. Like I'm okay. Um, and I think there's just something that men, especially younger men, don't understand is when you're saying like, oh, yeah, it's just such a trip. Like, I look so different. They're like, I think you look amazing. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't really care what you think. <laughs> I'm talking about me and what I think about me. Like, I think young guys don't quite get yet that like women of a certain age like are no longer needing their approval. And I don't think they get what happens to us societally where we're like, my God, we've put so much effort into this that even us cool, smart, younger feminists are like, 
I don't need this right now. Um, but he would say things every once in a while, like, oh, my, my, uh, you know, this family member, they're so dorky, but they're, you know, they're old. They're like 50. And I was like, I'm going to be 50 in five years. And he would always go, oh, but you don't look it. I'm like, that doesn't matter what I look like. And so he didn't mean to, but that stuff would be said. And I was like, eh, eh. It, you know, but it was, it was weird because I used to do stuff in my act about, like, he knew who the Bee Gees were. He, he like, knew stuff from, like, it was as though I was hanging out with someone my own age. We had all the same reference points. But then when you're actually dating, you go, oh, that's, I guess that's actually not important. So, and I broke my own cardinal rule. You know, his 9-11 story started with when I was in the classroom and he's not a teacher. And I was like, um, but he's lovely and I think we'll be friends. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I don't have any time. I haven't even had time to be his friend. So. There's your answer. Oh, my God. Everybody has been so excited about Everlane. They were our sponsor last week, and I put a picture of me wearing my little Everlane shorts and my little silk top, and everyone was like, can I raid your wardrobe? I'm like, you actually can because you can go to Everlane. And I went, and, you know, they sent me – listen, I don't mean to brag, but they sent me a few things on the free because I'm the podcaster. And then I went and bought a bunch of stuff myself. I bought – long I bought these white pants that are boot cut I bought they have these awesome new they call them like throwbacks to the 90s like tank tops that are cut a certain way and there's all different kinds of cuts and I love it it's not just one style and uh but I'm like oh yeah that totally was a 90s look and they I bought this great skirt and um it's just fantastic. And so what I love is I'm even using my own offer code to get free shipping. So go to everlane.com, E-V-E-R-L-A-N-E.com slash fun, and you're going to get free shipping on your first order. So here's the deal. Not only do they make premium essentials, they use the finest materials, and they don't do the traditional markups. They also let you know what you're paying for and why. So they actually tell you their real costs and they're very transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. No matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. They sell directly to you. Their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. They have essentials like their cotton crew t-shirt and it's exactly what it should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. I, they also make amazing shoes. I have a bunch of their shoes. I got these great black boots. I'll be taking them on tour with me. They're little like, you know, like little um, beetle boots, as in the beetles, not like the bug. And anyway, right now you can check out their personalized cotton collection at everlane.com slash fun. And that's when you're going to get free shipping on your first order. Again, Angelina Jolie, the Today Show and NPR all love Everlane. No frills, just quality. But guys, I have to tell you, I don't even think they should write no frills, just quality, because doesn't that sound like, ugh, I don't want to wear that. It looks like sleek and hot and cool. You look like a rich person on an airplane. Does that make sense? You're like, why are they just so put together? It's because of Everlane. And I really love the different colors they have in things, too. And they've made a commitment to eliminate all virgin plastic from their supply chain by 2021. There's a great article about it in Vogue magazine. And... Tread by Everlane is a new sneaker brand with a mission to make the world's lowest impact sneaker designed to last and built from the most sustainable raw materials now. So, everybody, everlane.com slash fun. Do I have like 10 more minutes? Okay. Okay. Can I do the 15 more? Oh, we're good. Okay. Um, All right. Well, that was my little dating update. Uh, You know, it's interesting. So I made a pros and cons list. Because I wasn't sure what to do. God, I hope he's not listening to this. I don't think he is. I mean, I could tell him all this too. But this is what was interesting for me. The pros were kind of fucked up. I'm going to be honest. They were like, people have stopped pitying me. I don't have any more questions about if I'm single. I have a date to go do all these things with that if I did alone, I might feel like, meh. Those are my pros. And then they were like, qualities about him like he's kind he's smart he's funny he's woke and feminist and all that and handsome as shit you know but I said but that's not I mean I'm glad he has all those great qualities but I know a lot of people like that but they're not my boyfriend you know and so the pros for me would have to do with what I need what I want what I can see what I can give and 
it was all my own stuff. When I looked at the cons, they were all like big things that I can't control or change. And um, they all had to do with our age difference. And so the pros were great, but if the cons had been smaller, like I don't like his socks, then I would lean heavily on the pros. But the cons were big. The, and so, and again, they were nothing that he could do differently. You know, there's there's really nothing he could have done differently except be born in, in 1974 or something. Um, but what was so funny was at this event that I went to with all the gals, there was an older actor there that were like Twitter friends. I think he's about late 50s. And I talked to him for a minute and I was like, oh, I'm just such a big fan of your like political commentary on Twitter. And he was like, oh, you too. And he was just telling me he's like stressed about Twitter and like it's so negative and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, well, we're totally friends now. Like see you on Twitter. I was like, we should just like be friends in real life. Now, I literally meant friends. But I I, I thought talking to someone older, they would understand what I meant, especially because I'm 15, 13, 14 years younger than him. And I feel like fuck and because I look younger it's like also fuck you that you think you could date me or should date me or that would be appropriate like he's had wives they've been his own age and I got home that night and I got a direct message from him that was like a dirty joke it wasn't dirty it was just that fine line that women have dealt with their whole life where it was not a dirty joke at me it was about him and his own body but it was nothing it didn't involve me in it but it was still like why are you bringing up this topic I just met you at a fucking feminist political event this is confusing to me because this is how men have always this was my problem with the whole louis thing was like i guess we're making masturbation jokes and cool uh oh no oh god oh god i think he's talking about he wants to do a thing with me oh no oh wait i think this just affected a lot of things you know so i just i made a joke back that like diffused it and then i went why did i just do that why why did i do that and he was like, no, but seriously, like, let's get a coffee or drink sometime. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's never going to happen now. Because I was going to write back, look, I I guess I need to be more clear with men. When I said we should be friends, I literally meant friends, period, end of story. And I realized for a lot of men that not possible or there's still a thing there. And I don't want to feel uncomfortable um, because I'm, you know, I'm not going to write all this. I'm just telling you guys, like, we're conditioned to be polite. And like, oh, so... I think, um, you know, it's like someone makes a joke like that. Even if it's a mistake, he could be like, dude, I have three girlfriends. It, it doesn't matter. It's just like I never wrote. I haven't written back yet. Um, I may never, but I feel like I should just explain like, yeah, you know, I I know I joked back, but I didn't. I don't know why I was trying to diffuse it. And now I'm trying to take a new step in life, which is like, unfortunately, if that's the first thing someone says to me privately, that they wouldn't even say to my face, then that's just not a good sign for me. I'm really sorry. And it's like, not like you did anything wrong or fuck you or this, that. And if there is a friendship that's meant to be like, it'll happen organically, you know, but I feel like I'm a little afraid to write back because I'm afraid that he's going to yell at me or say something horrible. But if he does, let him, you know, like, I don't fucking care. So, you know, I just thought that was interesting, too, because I was like, universe, I'm, you know, I need someone my age, this guy's too young. And then within one minute, Someone way older was there. I was like, ugh, my universe, my guardian angel or whoever's out there has a very fucked up sense of humor. Um, but there would have been a time in my life where getting that weird email from an older man would have made me go, I'll just stay with a younger man. It's fine. And it's like, there's actually another option, which is I choose myself right now. So anyway, uh, but I don't look at it as permanent. I'm, I'm going through a phase right now where I'm not available and, uh, I might be available a little later, but I, I'm I'm kind of enjoying this little like moment I'm in. So I watched the Bob Dylan documentary about the oh, whatever it's called. It's on Netflix. It's called the Whatever Tour. And I just I'd read this book this woman wrote about him called uh, "Seeing the Real You at Last," and it was like a woman that was his friend, and then they had an affair, but he was married, and she was dating his tour manager, and she thought they were in love, and then. They weren't, and they never spoke again. But he is like, oh, my God. The book really reveals everything. He's, like, got 50 kids from 50 different women. He's, like, taking care of, like, he's just completely emotionally unavailable but married but was cheating the whole time. And there's this moment where 
him and Joan Baez are singing together. And you can tell there's something between them. I'm sure they're even hooking. I don't know. And then later on the tour, they're talking. And she's like, yeah, I got married to someone else. But, um, you know, I thought I loved him. He's like, yeah, thinking. Thinking is is too much. You know, you got to just go with your heart. And I was so mad because he chose to marry someone that, like, wasn't a musician. And she just kind of sat home and waited for him. I don't mean to, like, impugn this woman. But it was like, just shut up. Just stop. Like, there's no world where you would have been able to, your ego would have been able to handle dating a woman who is your equal and you're on tour together singing. So it just really annoyed me. And so I was going to read this article today about, uh, it's, I've had it forever that I've been meaning to read it. I mean, I think it's been in my folder here for a year. And it's a really long article. I'm obviously not going to read it right now, but it's called The Women Who Transformed Rolling Stone Magazine. And it was in Vanity Fair, and this woman, Jessica Hopper, wrote it. And she just said it was just us against the world and against those guys. So mainly it was just like a bunch of guys like, um, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, all these just like up all night on coke, like blah, blah, writing all this like nonsensical stuff. And then the women would clean it up and re-edit it. And like they were doing all of the work that all these guys who were writing all the big rock bios did. And, and, uh, so I wanted to read about it, and I might do it another time, but this article that came out in New York Magazine today in in The Cut by Jean Carroll, she even talked about Hunter S. Thompson like assaulting her and just being a total psycho, and I was like, oh, that reminded me of the Rolling Stone article, blah, blah, blah. But, oh, I think I said I was going to end on the ridiculous, but I think, um, I think we're going to end on the horrible. Oh, my God, wait. How about this? How about... I'm going to read this horrible thing. No, how about we're going to do fun things, and then the last thing I'm going to do is read this article so that if you don't want to hear it, you can not hear it, and I won't say anything after that. So right now, I just want to remind you guys that we we have the Christmas in July t-shirt. It's a woman drinking hot cocoa, and she's in front of her air conditioner. It says Mary A. Seamus, and AC is in uh, air conditioning. And uh, it's all in my store at Tee Public. If you go to um, my Twitter page, which is uh, at Having Funless Pod, and in the bio of my Twitter page is the direct link to shop my merchandise store, or you can go to jenkirkman.com and click shop. And then once you're in there, you can click into the Tee Public merchandise store and uh, you can shop all things. Uh, Related to this podcast, all the merchandise comes in either t-shirts or hoodies or onesies or mugs or pillows or whatever. But I really love the Christmas. So Christmas in July, I've released all of my Christmas merchandise so that you can buy it and you can have Christmas in July. If it starts getting too hot, you can close the drapes, put on your air conditioning, put on a fan and wear your Christmas stuff. And you can look at your Christmas decorations and be like, I'm coming for you in a few months. And then Hallmark is playing their Christmas movies. So next week, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, what it's like to write, because I am writing a Hallmark Christmas movie. We're only in the outline phase. Again, they could decide they don't want to do it and cancel it. They could have someone else write the script, and it doesn't mean it's going to be picked up into a movie. You kind of you kind of write the script, and then they decide. So it's, it's like writing a sitcom. It's the same kind of process. So don't be like, oh, my God, I can't wait to watch your movie. There are six more steps, and there's a possibility of it ending at each step. So everybody calm themselves. So anyway... Please do come see me on tour. I always have new material that you've never seen. And the way it works is if you don't come see me, you don't get to go, oh, I might see you next time. If you don't come, uh, there's already, from lack of ticket sales, there's already a few venues this year that I cannot return to because, uh, well, I mean, they're allowing me to return, but they, they give you a guarantee. Like if no one shows up, you get this much money anyway. Uh, I've lost my guarantees on some places because people weren't showing up. So, uh, and then a lot of those people have even said to me, uh, when are you coming to this town? And I'm like, I was just there and now I, uh, uh. and my apologies to someone in the private Facebook group, they did put, when are you coming here? When are you coming there? And I just, it blew my mind because I thought everyone knew I hate that. And then she was like, I'm sorry, I've been depressed. I haven't been out of the house. I'm like, it's okay. I'm, I was shitty. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to stay off the private Facebook group because you guys should be able to talk about me without me seeing it. Um, but if you want to join, that is facebook.com slash having funless pod. That's the Facebook page of this podcast. And in the uh, you know, the pinned post at the top, 
is the link to the secret private group. If you want to ask me a question that I will read on the podcast, send it to havingfunless at gmail.com. I would really love if you guys could give this podcast five stars and write a review on iTunes, and I might even read it on the air. Please do um, watch my Netflix specials. I'm going to die alone and just keep living. Please do buy my books, jenkirkman.com slash books. And uh, what else? And if you do buy tickets to my shows, please tweet about it and use hashtag Jen Kirkman 2019. Tweet about it or um, uh, what's that other thing? Instagram. How's that sound? Okay, so I'm going to read the terrible article and we're all just... Now, should I just read one iTunes review just just so that you guys know um, that it's fun to do this? Okay. Mysteries, one star. This is listed under comedies. Is she supposed to be funny? I think you just keep listening, waiting for the funny part, but it never comes. This is definitely not for me, not funny at all. So if you guys could go in and actually write nice reviews, that would be really helpful. Um, The whole point of the podcast is that it's for me to not come here and do comedy. I might have to do like a little thing at the top where I explain that. I thought I did, but whatever. All right. Now. June 11th was a little anti-male, but he gave me five stars. I'm giving this another listen. Update. Some of these episodes have been so good lately, I've been sharing them with friends. Well, we'll see what he does on this one. This one is... uh, Okay. Here we go. Jen is a national treasure. This is from Himeros Faison. Himeros, I'm sorry, I just butchered your name. The podcast used to seem fun, but now it's full of funlessness. Hey, are you a person looking for soothing, relatable content about the groans and guffaws of everyday life? This podcast is for you. And for the love of fuck, join our email list. Love you, Jen. Thanks, guys. Five star seat. Drown out the bad voices and write good things. Now, I'm sorry if this is going to seem anti-male, but this is life. So now everyone who doesn't want to hear something upsetting or might get triggered, you can tune out. This is from thecut.com. And again, it is famed um, advice columnist Jean Carroll. And it's like a 50,000 page article. I'm just going to read the part about our dear leader. Uh, Let's get it down to here. And it's confronting because you would think assaults are very cut and dry, like They walk in, they go, I'm assaulting you. And you go, no, but it happens because they've earned your trust a little bit. And that's always the hardest part to admit. So here we go. Which brings me to the other rich boy. Before I discuss him, I must mention that there are two great handicaps to telling you what happened to me in Bergdorf's. One, the man I will be talking about denies it as he has denied accusations of sexual misconduct made by at least 15 credible women. Here's what the White House has said. This is a completely false and unrealistic story surfacing 25 years after allegedly taking place and was simply created to make the president look bad. And B, I run the risk of making him more popular by revealing what he did. His admirers can't get enough of hearing that he's rich enough, lusty enough, and powerful enough to be sued by and to pay off every splashy porn star or playboy playmate who comes forward. So I can't imagine how ecstatic the poor saps will be to hear their favorite walking phallus got it on with an old lady in the world's most prestigious department store. This is during the years I am doing a daily Ask Jean TV show for the cable station America's Talking, a precursor to MSNBC launched by Roger Ailes, who, by the way, is number 16 on my list. So she's listed like this many men who've assaulted her. Early one evening, as I'm about to go to Bergdorf's revolving door on 58th Street, and one of New York's most famous men comes in the revolving door, or it could have been a regular door at that time, I can't recall, and he says, hey, you're that advice lady. And I say to number 20 on the most hideous men in my life list, hey, you're that real estate tycoon. I am surprised at how good-looking he is. Do you understand how vulnerable it is for her to admit this? We've met once before. but See, you can think someone's good-looking but not want to touch them. It's just like you're just – God, I almost don't want to read this because of 
I can't believe she wrote this because I just the harassment that's going to come her way from people that think it has to look cut and dry, that you have to think your assaulter is ugly. Oh, it, oh God. Anyway, let me just finish it. Um, we'd met once before and perhaps it is the dusky light, but he looks prettier than ever. This has to be in the fall of 1995 or the spring of 1996 because he's garbed in a faultless top coat and I'm wearing my black wool Donna Karen coat dress and high heels, but not a coat. Come advise me, says the man. I gotta buy a present. Oh, I say charmed for whom? A girl, he says. Don't the assistants of your secretaries buy things like that, I say? Not this one, he says, or perhaps he says not this time. I can't recall. He is a big talker, and from the instant we collide, he yammers about himself like he's Alexander the Great, ready to loot Babylon. As we are standing just inside the door, I point to the handbags. How about... No, he says, making the face where he pulls up both lips like he's balancing a spoon under his nose, and begins talking about how he once thought about buying Bergdorf's. Or a hat, I say enthusiastically, walking toward the handbags, which at the period I'm telling you about, and Bergdorf's has been redone two or three times since then, are mixed in and displayed next to the hats. She'll love a hat. You can't go wrong with a hat. I don't remember what he says, but he comes striding along, greeting a Bergdorf sales attendant like he owns the joint and permitting a shopper to gape in awe at him, and he goes right for a fur number. Please, I say, no woman would wear a dead animal on her head. What he replies, I don't recall, but I remember he coddles the fur hat like it's a baby otter. How old is the lady in question, I ask? How old are you, replies the man, fondling the hat and looking at me like Louis Leakey carbon dating a thigh bone he's found in Old du- old, Duvi- old old Duvi Gorge. Okay, I I don't know what I just read, and I'm he's looking at her. I'm 52, I tell him. You're so old, he says, laughing. He was around 50 himself. And it's at this point that he drops the hat, looks in the direction of the escalator, and says, lingerie, or he may have said underwear. So we stroll to the escalator. I don't remember anybody else greeting him or galloping up to talk to him, which indicates how very few people are in the store at the time. I have no recollection where lingerie is in that era of Bergdorf's, but it seems to me it is on a floor with the evening gowns and bathing suits And when the man and I arrive, and my memory is now vivid, no one is present. There are two or three dainty boxes and a lacy, see-through bodysuit of lilac, gray on the counter. The man studies the bodysuit and says, go try this on. You try it on, I say, laughing. It's your color. Come on, try it on, he says, throwing it at me. It goes with your eyes, I say, laughing and throwing it back. You're in good shape, he says, holding the filmy thing up against me. I want to see how this looks. But it's your size, I say, laughing and trying to slap him back with one of the boxes on the counter. Come on, he says, taking my arm. Let's put this on. This is going to be hilarious, I'm saying to myself. And as I write this, I am staggered by my stupidity. As we head to the dressing rooms, I'm laughing aloud and saying in my mind, I'm going to make him put this thing on over his pants. There are several facts about what happens next that are so odd, I want to clear them up before I go any further. Did I report it to the police? No. Did I tell anyone about it? Yes, I told two close friends. The first, a journalist, magazine writer, correspondent on the TV morning shows, author of many books. They begged me to go to the police. He raped you, she kept repeating when I called her. He raped you. Go to the police. I'll go with you. We'll go together. My second friend is also a journalist, a New York anchor woman. She grew very quiet when I told her. Then she grasped both my hands in her own and said, tell no one, forget it. He has 200 lawyers. He'll bury you. Two decades later, both still remember the incident clearly and confirmed their accounts to New York Magazine. Do I have any photos or visual evidence? Bergdorf's security cameras must have picked us up at the 58th Street entrance of the store. We would have been filmed on the ground floor in the bags and hat sections. Cameras also must have captured us going up the escalator and into the lingerie department. New York law at the time did not explicitly prohibit security cameras in dressing rooms to prevent theft. But even if it had been captured on tape, depending on the position of the camera, it would be very difficult to see the man unzipping his pants because he was wearing a top coat. The struggle might simply have read as sexy. The speculation is moot anyway. The department store has confirmed that it no longer has tapes from that time. Why were there no sales attendants in the lingerie department? Bergdorf Goodman's perfections are so well known. It is a store so noble, so clubby, so posh, that it is almost easier to accept the fact that I was attacked than the fact that for a very brief period, there was no sales attendant in the lingerie department. 
Inconceivable is the word. Sometimes a person won't find a sales attendant in Saks. It's true. Sometimes one has to look for a sales associate in Barney's, Bloomingdale's, or even Tiffany's. But 99% of the time, you will have an attendant in Bergdorf's. All I can say is I did not, in this fleeting episode, see an attendant. And the other odd thing is that a dressing room door was open. In Bergdorf's dressing rooms, doors are usually locked until a client wants to try something on. Why haven't I come forward before now? Receiving death threats, being driven from my home, being dismissed, being dragged through the mud, and joining the 15 women who've come forward with credible stories about how the man grabbed, badgered, belittled, mauled, molested, and assaulted them, only to see the man turn it around, deny, threaten, and attack them, never sounded like much fun. Also, I am a coward. So now I will tell you what happened. The moment the dressing room door is closed, he lunges at me, pushes me against the wall, hitting my head quite badly, and puts his mouth against my lips. I am so shocked, I shove him back and start laughing again. He seizes both my arms and pushes me up against the wall a second time, and as I become aware of how large he is, he holds me against the wall with his shoulder and jams his hand under my coat dress and pulls down my tights. I am astonished by what I am about to write. I keep laughing. The next moment, still wearing correct business attire, shirt, tie, suit, jacket, overcoat, he opens the overcoat, unzips his pants, and forcing his fingers around my private area, thrusts his penis halfway, or completely, I'm not certain, inside me. It turns into a colossal struggle. I am wearing a pair of sturdy black patent leather four-inch Barney's high heels, which puts my height around 6'1", and I try to stomp his foot. I try to push him off with my one free hand. For some reason, I keep holding my purse with the other, and I finally get a knee up high enough to push him out and off, and I turn, open the door, and run out of the dressing room. The whole episode lasts no more than three minutes. I do not believe he ejaculates. I don't remember if any person or attendant is now in the lingerie department. I don't remember if I run for the elevator or if I take the slow ride down the escalator. As soon as I land on the main floor, I run through the store and out the door. I don't recall which door and find myself outside on Fifth Avenue. And that was my last hideous man. The Donna Karen coat dress still hangs on the back of my closet door, unworn and unlaundered since that evening. And whether it's my age, the fact that I haven't met anyone fascinating enough over the past couple of decades to feel the sap rising, as Tom Wolf put it, or if it's the blot of the real estate tycoon, I can't say, but I have never had sex with anybody again. Ah, that is the part. I don't mean like, oh my gosh, but that is just like, ugh. anyway, so I found that really interesting because of like the laughing and she said, you know, if you think someone's flirting with you or they're sort of intrigued, you can be like, I know I have a girlfriend, but want to go out sometime? And even that's creepy. Or you can even pat them on the butt and they'll go, excuse me, sir, just because I'm giving you attention doesn't mean I want to fuck you. It doesn't even matter I'm going to fuck you right now. And like, you've got to understand that somebody was then just physically assaulted because they were interacting with you. And she writing that knows by writing that and telling all the details that she is just going to be told it's her fault. A fucking course she didn't come forward. Alrighty then. Enjoy this episode to the man who thinks I hate men. God bless you. I love you even though you don't understand me. Until next week, have fun.